0: Welcome back. Once again, Movie House taking over YouTube. Not really. We do want to thank everybody (laughs) who watched on the YouTube channel who subscribed to the YouTube channel. It's a brand new thing. I I appreciate you being there on the ground floor. This is our second ever video podcast. Had some technical difficulties. Thought I had it figured out. Thought all the settings would be the same. Guys, don't trust technology. With that said, I'm Ryan Snelling, of course. We're here to talk about a movie on Netflix called Sergio. I can't do it alone. PJ Campbell is across the hall. What up? What's going on, man?
1: Uh, good to be here. Technology is the worst. The quarantine is just making it uh, unbearable sometimes when we're trying to get stuff done because we've had problems with technology both times we've tried to do yeah. the video stuff. So you know, shit happens. I get it. Um, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad gonna... to. I didn't even know this movie existed until we until you brought it up to me. And that's, once again, the brilliance of Netflix.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's probably how the whole world is reacting right now to this podcast, especially if you're listening on the podcast feed and we're like, hey, what are Ryan and PJ going to tackle this week? Oh, it's Sergio? I, yeah, I, I don't what know. is that? I, I told you about it live on the podcast last week, right before I told you about it. I had forgotten about it up until that point. It only struck a chord because I saw on a day on the cast sheet on i'm sorry and that i get it that was it i I didn't really look too far into who the sergio guy was knew that wagner mora was playing him but i think honestly the only thing that i realized this week i've actually just waiting for extraction to come out have you seen people going nuts about extraction the hemsworth movie on netflix coming out
1: yeah that's the one the russo brothers produced right Mm-hmm. I think that's one of their new ones because they did the Chadwick Boseman one earlier yeah. last, or late last year, I should say, with 21 Bridges. This is their next one. And then they've got the one with Holland after this. So they've got like three massive vehicles with MCU stars that they're like jamming down the pipeline, which I'm excited for. I've heard good things about Extraction. Yeah. So I'm excited. Like that's the one I can't wait to talk about. I mean, it's kind of been a weird week already. And like really, if I'm honest, I was basically just watching a bunch of zach braff movies i'm calling it the midlife crisis trilogy of garden state uh the last kiss and wish i was here so it was weird to go from that to this just like did you see
0: florence Pugh uh wishing him a happy birthday on instagram and then having to correct all of her followers because apparently he was just getting like all this hate on her feed
1: yeah and her being like i choose to love who
0: i love it's so crazy to me it's so crazy (laughs) Florence Pugh is a ray of sunshine on Instagram. If you haven't yet, please follow her. I'm going to take my glasses off because the uh, reflection of my light is annoying. Anyway, so Florence Pugh, Zach Braff. Oh, so I saw Wish I Was Here in theaters with my, my fellow friend Cody Ray Hecker, who's also a big Zach Braff fan. I was excited to see it.
1: Um, I kickst- I kickstarted that movie. I was one I, of the backers. I think
0: I did, too. I definitely remember it, but I'm not sure if I contributed because I think part of my take at the time was Zach Braff. I don't care what you say. You don't actually need this. But with that <laughs> said, uh, I saw the movie in theaters. Could Couldn't believe it. And one of the coolest things ever about my life is the fact that I tweeted about that movie after having seen it. And he retweeted it and favorited it, and it got, like, hundreds and thousands of retweets and favorites. It's the, one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my life. And uh, that was that. Never felt compelled to watch it again ever in my life. I think the tweet was something like, something along the lines of, yeah, I wish that Kate Hudson was in my bed talking game of thrones with me right now or something like that and uh, that's what he retweeted so is it possible that zach braff only casted her so that he could pretend that she was his wife for 90 minutes i don't want to say that i mean look if in the she's, span of she's time really hot in that movie
1: she is and i was going to say and in the span of time that he was on scrubs he dated a lot of different people like in the show itself that were very attractive as well so that's just Zach Braff being Zach Braff. And in real life, as it turns out. So I was going
0: to say, getting all these chicks. <laughs> he got Florence Pugh. That's right. He did. He certainly did. Florence Pugh, ray of shining light, also Anna de Armas. And like, like we said, that's one of the reasons why we felt compelled, or at least I felt compelled to force you to watch this movie against your will without having any prior knowledge. I want to talk about Wagner Mora for a second. I I have not finished Narcos. But I do remember, and I'm wondering if you felt this way too, seeing him for the very first time in Elysium and not in the theater, not being able to understand a single fucking word that that guy said in that movie.
1: Dude, I forgot he was in that until I looked today. Because I was like, why do I recognize him? And I was like, "Oh, he was in Elysium. Mm. That's weird. I don't remember that." Oh, really? And, dude, like,
0: it is so hard to understand what that dude is saying in that movie. I was right. I, I was like, ready. I, I was probably going to watch it with subtitles anyway, but I, I was hesitant. Like, hey, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how clear he, he spoke. Fine, obviously, in this movie, he's he's very clear. Not at all the way that he spoke in Elysium. But I was ready and I was prepared to throw those subtitles on if I needed them. Because it, it was extremely hard to know what he was saying in that movie when I saw it.
1: Yeah, I again, I totally forgot he was even in it until I looked at it and I went, <laughs> oh my God. And I, I was already going to watch it with subtitles anyway because I tend to with new movies kind of period um, just so that I don't miss any dialogue. And I could see why. Because then like thinking back with Elysium, I was like, holy crap, Like yeah. his accent is so thick. And that's you know that's just how some people are and that's okay it's just it can be hard to understand it sometimes so yeah, subtitles are necessary
0: i haven't seen that movie in a while but i if i remember correctly there was a lot of like jargon and slang too probably that didn't help me interpret what he was talking about so anyway i, I haven't seen fair. that movie in a while but that's just how i remember it and i guess you're not a big narcos fan if you didn't even you haven't even seen him in that either i
1: haven't seen narcos i keep meaning to because everyone keeps saying how great it is it's just one of those things that i just haven't sat down with even though i really should
0: yeah me neither probably one of the most notable netflix series out there maybe period and i've had this weird habit i've seen the first episode of narcos mexico twice (laughs) and just haven't finished the series either time not for any real reason other than i guess i just get distracted I think I watched like the first half of the first season of Narcos and don't really remember why I got off on that either. But uh, anyway, anyway, it's important because we're talking about Netflix is just the reason why Movie House is in business right now. So maybe with all this extra time, we can go back and all the things that we've missed out on like uh, Narcos. But this uh, movie is really all that we had. I mean, was there any other possibility other than like, no. a TV show?
1: Right. Not that I could think of. I mean, outside of like Delia had a new comedy special, but you don't really review comedy specials in the same way that you talk about a movie, you know, like I know you watch it. I haven't had a chance to sit down with it yet, but yeah. it's just so weird because again, we're trying to do our best right now with the quarantine because literally no movies are out right now. We should be watching things and we can't. And so we're ha- trying to make sure to give you guys content. We watch movies like Sergio and I'll say this. I mean, it's not the worst movie I've seen all year, but I didn't like, I didn't really care for it either.
0: I did not either.
1: Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of said it to you off Mike before we started. Like if I had, if I don't see another movie about Bush era politics at this point, it's going to be like way too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, i i understand why it's important to make these movies i understand why we need them but sergio for me i didn't really know a lot about his story and so i was kind of looking into it before i watched it just so i had some context to who he was as a person and things like that i just recognized the name from that time period and for us then to jump into this movie that's got like weird it's weirdly paced i don't like the way that it flips around different time frames so frequently. It's right. just very, very irritating. Like I don't even need things to be linear, but it jumps through so many different time periods at different times that it became convoluted for me. And I don't know. I it just, I wanted to love it and it just didn't gel with me.
0: Yeah. I'll read the synopsis real quick. A sweeping drama set in the chaotic aftermath of the U S invasion of Iraq, where the life of top UN diplomat, Sergio, uh, Melio, I can't remember if that's how you pronounce his name. Hangs in the balance during the most treacherous mission of his career. So this gentleman is uh, a notable person in our history. The director of this film, Greg Barker, also directed a documentary uh, about a decade ago about this same gentleman. So it's something that director Greg Barker is super, super passionate about. The writer is Craig uh, Borton. To my knowledge, I I haven't seen either of these gentlemen's uh, other prior Work, But uh, this is something that he's obviously passionate about. And you mentioned Bush era politics. Something that it's an era that we grew up during. And I will agree with you, though, the argument, the immediate argument is if you were going to tell any story. Inside of the Bush era, it should be about some of these heroes that common folk like me and you don't really know that much about I mean I certainly did right. know about this gentleman and he played a huge role uh, during this this period so that's that's the argument for that but your point still stands and it's it's one of like five things that this movie is about and I think this all falls apart when you just speak to the execution you've already touched on it it wants to do like four or five different things which aren't like unfamiliar when you're considered, mm-hmm. but like, do you consider this a biopic? That, that's my first question. Do you, the way that it's told, does this feel like a biopic to you?
1: I mean, it's definitely a biopic in the idea of, uh, you encapsulate someone's life in a certain time. Some biopics are like a snapshot of a portion of time. If you look at Lincoln, that's what Spiel- Spielberg did with that movie was he, focus strictly on just one portion of the life of lincoln whereas others you can see will do like a sweeping tale of someone's life in two and a half hours and i don't i sometimes i don't think that really works either because i think you miss a lot like in ray you take something like that and you end up condensing parts of his life or moving character like combining real life people into one character and stuff like that i don't necessarily love things like that but then you look at like 42 42 is a great example of how to take a snapshot of someone's life with jackie robinson and you make it like the focal point of their being at the same time yeah and i I guess that's what they were trying to do here
0: i i know that it's a biopic or biopic but it doesn't feel like it to me and I don't think it's a good one because I don't think that I quite know and understand this gentleman and everything that he was doing and there's a there's a few like movie things that I think are at fault here but but also I just don't know that it did a good enough job exploring aspects of his life particularly with his family I still have like so many questions it tried to address it i don't think it did effectively there was a few like glimpses and few snapshots of him you know it's a non-linear story i remember one of the more confusing things was uh so there's a scene where uh him and anna meet on a run right and they had that conversation about the ceasefire And he's like, oh, who are you? Because she says something really uh, smart and intelligent (laughs) that he could pick up on. Directly before that was another running scene with no exchange of dialogue that I think takes place like three years later. But there's no real like relevance for it. And I wasn't sure what that was trying to tell me. And there were other there was another scene where she calls him out for being married. And you get a glimpse of his hand, and he's not wearing a wedding ring. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. She did her homework, learned about this character, thought we were going to dive into that. We don't at all. I think there's one throwaway line where he says that him and his wife married very young. And uh, ever since then, he just hasn't had a great relationship with the boys. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, give me a little bit more of that because – up until this point, you just kind of read this guy like he's written in a boring way because he he's just like a nice, noble guy. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but you don't really explore any of the flaws and you don't really have too much going on that's challenging him. How do you feel about
1: all no, of that? I, I don't disagree because when you look at one of the – one of the scenes that you're supposed to actually feel sympathy for him, I guess, is the scene involving his sons when he tries to make them dinner. Yeah. And the, the one son's like, oh, I'm not hungry. And then the other one's like, well, I'm allergic to shrimp. And he's like, when have you been allergic to shrimp? Literally my whole life. So I'm supposed to care that his relationship is so, like, shattered with them, but we never spend time with them. Yeah. Enough for me to care. And that's the fault of the film. And when your biggest character flaw is that, you're saving other people and your home life isn't great, but we also don't know anything about your home life. I have a hard time connecting in any sort of way. And that's kind of how I kept feeling throughout the film is that I just never felt like it was pushing me to care. And on top of that, it's trying to also be like this romantic film Mm. and it's supposed to be this relationship, uh, like love story drama in a way between him and Anna. And I never care.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. That like, was my that was my next question. Was which aspect did you find the most intriguing? So it it comes down to him being trapped in the rubble, his relationship with Anna or Anna, um his dealings with uh everybody involved in like the the Iraq landscape, whether it's a rebel leader or Bradley Whitford's character, like which corner of the movie did you find most intriguing?
1: The, I mean, the love story side is the one that was the most intriguing. I just feel like it just didn't yeah. quite get there. So um,
0: I agree 100%, and I just I think it's great and straight to the point that you said you don't even find value in that. <laughs> <laughs> right and that's that's my thing like I you know me I um
1: I love geopolitics type stuff you and I talk politics around here all the time so you'd think a movie like this would be up my alley like I love Tom Clancy I grew up reading all those books because my dad was weird and used to read me Tom Clancy geopolitical type <laughs> books and stuff when I was younger so stuff like this is the kind of stuff I like and for some reason, I just could not get into, like, there's a sequence where he sits down with one of the warlords and the warlord essentially is saying, he's not going to do anything about it, about right. the situation. And it should be this like rousing moment when he's like, you know, history will remember you for the way that you decide to do this. Like, I can't remember exactly what he says, but essentially it's to the tune of history's going to remember you for how you respond to this situation. Yeah.
0: And, and that, that speaks to like, the fact that we we get that this guy is is a noble, and the fact that right. there wasn't more of his, his scenes with Bradley Whitford were really on to something because it's really about the U.S.'s relationship with the UN during this time, and Bradley Whitford and their dynamic was maybe, in my opinion, the second most interesting dynamic of the entire movie. I agree. Behind, behind him and and Anna, so the fact that that kind of just goes away a little bit and it's really in the writing. i honestly, like all of these scenes could have really been beefed up more, especially with him and these political leaders. Like there's some like good snappy one liners at the tail end of the scenes, but it's nothing really like screams off the page. It really, really doesn't. And I think that even with the love scenes, um, I shouldn't call them love scenes. There's one love scene. What I, What I mean is the scenes between him and and Anna. Right, 100%. Those are popping off the screen because she is great in them. Like, Mm -hmm. Wagnamora does a good job. He's done better. He's better in what I've seen of Narcos. But he's not bad. I'm just saying he's good. But she is great.
1: And that's uh, something I wanted to point out, and it's something I feel we've all been talking about since Blade Runner 2049 at this point. Every time she's in something she elevates the material.
0: Yeah.
1: Every single time and this movie is no exception. She is fantastic throughout. I was always kind of actually very focused whenever Carolina was on screen, not yeah. because of the obvious reason like we can all point to the fact that any time that Anna's on screen, she is gorgeous. It's yes. hard <laughs> not to look at her. But that's like not even what I'm saying. It's right. more she's just very commanding. The sequence where they run and meet for the first time is one of my favorite s- scenes of the movie because she plays it very mysterious and very aloof in the right sort of way so that their payoff for that when they meet again later in the film, it's actually one of the most endearing character moments for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's the elephant in the room. And it, it, You guys, if you've listened to any podcast where I've talked about and they are moss, or followed me on Twitter, you know that I think she is just absolutely too hot for this earth. And she's like another species, almost to the point where like she's unbelievable in that in this type of role. I don't. It's not. I'm not saying she's not intelligent, but it's kind of like put Brad Pitt as like a plumber. You know what I mean? You just yeah, totally. look at him and think, you know what? If it's not a comedy, I don't believe Brad Pitt would ever be a plumber. He's just way too good looking. I could play the plumber, all right, but Brad Pitt could not. So it's it's the thing that I'm so distracted by but she she's obviously fantastic in, in the best part of the movie she she brings so much emotion I just think she acts uh better than anyone in the movie and she's really what holds it together and I think I think if the movie chose um aspects of his life the flashbacks if those were a little bit more focused I could get there but one one thing that I found very strange and another reason why I feel disconnected from this guy's life is that the movie doesn't use the flashbacks to play catch up with where he is under the rubble right oh Uh, yeah it it doesn't lead up to that at all it just kind of feels like another it's obviously like spoiler alert the end of his life but the rest of the movie doesn't get there you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I totally
1: agree. And that's, again, I think that's the disconnect of the film, right? And it's exactly what you and I keep talking about is that this is supposed to be some like rousing character drama, but the way that the story unfolds is so disjointed throughout that. I don't think there's any real connection for me. Like there's, there's decent ideas in trying to show someone's, relationship with someone over different spans of time like lots of tv shows have done it obviously if you look there's broadway productions like the last five years where the show is told from two different vantage points of a relationship at the beginning and the relationship at the end until it meets in the middle like there's definitely something to be said about doing that sort of thing but for a movie like this that's supposed to be like a rousing character drama it doesn't land for me because i feel like had it been more straightforward, I would have cared about her wanting to save him at the end. As weird as that sounds like I just didn't feel that pull throughout the movie because I didn't really understand because even at one point while she's supposed to be caring about him in the present scenes, she's mad at him in the past sequences and saying like, you know, you're just going to leave me when this is all said and done anyway. So what are we doing? So, I mean, obviously we know something happens in that time frame where they clearly have feelings and like things get fixed. But the problem is, is that that disconnect is already hanging at right. least for me.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, also has no reason to be two hours. I you agree. Know, we've already decided it just doesn't use that time effectively, but I do think it, it drags quite a bit. You, you said that it was boring in parts. I I, I think it drags a lot. Honestly. And we could have get, gotten there if the writing was better. We could have gotten there if it was a little bit more focused. I, I don't find this to be an effective, educational film. It, it's just kind of like I saw I saw two great actors in these lead roles, Bradley Whitford, but nobody else. I mean, Garrett Dillahunt honestly doesn't really have a whole lot to do either. I, I kind of think the supporting cast, I don't want to say wasted, because it's not like they're all high profile. It's just that they're not... That compelling either like you if any right if anything like make make it like a, I don't want to say like a buddy cop movie but get give some value to his bodyguard give some value to uh, that guy Gill who also works with them I mean it just uh, I don't know there, there's literally nothing I want everything to leap off the page and none of it does so that's what it's ultimately what we keep arriving to but in, in simplest terms I. I just would not recommend this movie to anybody. I I just can't make a case for it at all.
1: I mean, and again, there's a reason it looks like it was done as, as a Netflix film, not as like, even, even an HBO film. And I know that sounds crazy, but like HBO is very known for their prestige projects. And that's actually where the documentary was, was on HBO. And even they had no interest in actually telling this story. So it's interesting to me that Netflix is the one who picked it up. And, I don't want to say this because I know how it's going to sound, but like Netflix has this habit of being known as picking up like the red headed stepchildren of other studios. If people don't want to make things right. Yeah. And producing it because they think that they can do stuff with it. That clearly is kind of what this feels like here. And I mean, Greg Barker, who we talked about as the director, he's also the one who did that documentary. If he, if he's passionate about it, that's great. And I'm glad he got to tell the story he wanted to tell. But it is 100% not the way I would have wanted to see this story play out. Yeah. And for me personally, I just don't connect with it.
0: I felt a little bit uncomfortable just flat out saying at the top of the podcast, I don't know who writer Craig Borton is. So I went ahead and looked up his IMDb real quick. He just wrote Dallas Buyers Club. No big deal. Isn't that funny? He wrote That's crazy. Dallas Buyers Club and then The 33, which I have not seen. The but... 33
1: is the one with Antonio Banderas. Is that the one about the miners? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I never actually saw that either.
0: And and here we are at Sergio. So, but I saw Dallas Buyers Club. It's just, it's funny how I was like, I don't know who this guy is. But he wrote um, a very good movie in Dallas Buyers Club. So I don't know that it's entirely his fault then because, you know, it's not exactly a chris terrio situation
1: (laughs) no and i mean i'm already looking like on imdb this movie is already under uh six out of ten on their rating which i think is very interesting this movie's been out less than a day but i mean i think people are people are kind of like us where we check it out and it's just it's just not that interesting and that's too bad man because i like the cast
0: but what else are we gonna do? You know, like I said, extract even from now until extraction, um, nothing interesting comes out on VOD that we haven't already seen in the past couple of months. Um, it's it sucks right now. There's a lot of TV going on, but I just don't like the TV. Like devs, I couldn't get into. I might binge it just so we can kind of talk about it on the podcast. But right, I mean, like other than Westworld, I'm not really into TV right now, and it's it's only gonna get worse. It's crazy. It's unfortunate. I- I know,
1: man. I mean, you, you know, me, I, you and I have talked about this cause you come down and I'll be rewatching scrubs or rewatching how I met your mother and you see me watching those so frequently. And at this point, it's not even out of the fact that there's other things I could be watching. It's just like, I'm just, maybe it's because of the quarantine on top of it, but like, I just want to watch stuff that's like comfort food and the stuff that I don't, I don't want to go over to Westworld right now, you know? i am not i'm just not
0: feeling drawn to it you don't i mean i like westworld season three so far westworld fans don't which is hilarious to me because i guess i'm just not supposed to be on the same page with westworld fans because i despise the seasons that they love and love the one that they they despise right it's not comfort food either it's not like I, i talk a lot about it on sight and sound it's a very particular thing it's a show that i'm entertained by but i don't Feel compelled to like talk about it with anybody just because I don't think it's it, it's still Westworld at the end of the day, they're just telling a story that I'm more fascinated with, but it still is up to its same shenanigans. Um, I'm watching Community, rewatching Community, so that's uh my thing right now. So,
1: where are you in it? Because out of curiosity, I love Community, but I'm also one of the people who really loves the first three seasons, and then after that, I don't necessarily love it.
0: I, so I've only seen the first three seasons and uh, okay. right right now I'm in like the first 10 of season two, but I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen maybe th- even through four, maybe, but once it was like on the verge of cancellation, it was, uh, happening, uh, in prime time. So I wasn't right. watching it that way. I was binging it. So I just haven't played catch up since that happened since it was on Yahoo. Okay. So
1: I'm going to be very curious because I've been thinking about doing the rewatch now that it's on Netflix and like Joel McHale, I don't know if you saw He's saying that it looks like they might actually do the movie now, especially now that it's on Netflix. Um, He's yeah. He's saying that it looks like very, very good that they might actually get a chance to do it. And so it's definitely made me want to reconsider going back, especially because those first three seasons are just like absolute gold. And there's stuff in all the other seasons that is good too. But like I, one Dan Harmon leaves at the end of season three before he comes back. Like there's a very noticeable dip in quality in season four, at least
0: for me. Actually, you know, what's great comfort food and people who might know me, they might think I'm joking when I say this, but the other show that I'm watching right now is American Idol. Yeah. Okay. Just because I I like, I like judging singers, (laughs) but it's also just, so disney and so it, it gets you in the feels too that's a that's a great binge by the way there's nothing better than binging american idol i know that people might be shocked that i'm saying this but it's true i uh, i'm a big fan of that show and uh they're like figuring out the quarantine right now uh i'm not gonna go into idol talk right now but they're they're figuring that out and the rest of the season is apparently gonna be done remotely so i don't really know how that's gonna work because you, you can't judge stage presence. You can't utilize a band if you want when you're performing. So I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, I don't know. That's just something that some people out there might want to consider because there is, there is enough out there that you could probably bench and have a good time with it. But anyway. Um,
1: that's so funny because I yeah. never would have pegged that on you and I love everything about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I enjoy it very much. It's it's not... The, the Since it went over to ABC three seasons ago, it's not nearly as like mean-spirited as it used to be like i said it's under disney so it's like right it's more wholesome the the auditions that they show you they they're pretty much showing you who's going to build some kind of narrative over the season so you kind of have it it's mostly all the people they go through that are shown there's a few like bad eggs in there but they don't really do that anymore so um yeah i just like judging singers and and listening to that kind of shit so i appreciate it um I mean, I I definitely support that, man. I I have no
1: problem being, like, comfort things right now are, like, the best thing to get through all this. Because, like, you and I yesterday, we were talking about it. We're already going stir-crazy. Like, we've been doing the same thing and trying to enjoy ourselves. But also, you just, like, need to leave and drive. And that's what you did. And it's, like, sometimes watching American Idol, that's okay, too. Like – Now is the perfect time to go back to the stuff that you care about and like enjoy because I've been watching a ton of martial arts films lately because it's taking me back to like much simpler times from when I was younger and just like trying to enjoy something a lot simpler in life, I guess. And like just reminding yourself that not everything has to be
0: dreary and serious. How do you feel about the fact that this Bruce Lee criterion will be the very first and only criterion that I will ever own? I I applaud the decision making on your part to actually buy it. I mean, you can see
1: in the background of my video, like right behind me, I have that giant Criterion Godzilla set too. Cause I freaking love Godzilla like that. I love kaiju movies. I love monster movies, but you knowing, you're going to buy that Bruce Lee set just like warms my heart.
0: I was excited. I was excited. Um, what else?
1: What, like, are you, have you gone back to any movies, I guess? Is like that, or has it just been TV for you? Like I as not watched your a lot comfort? of movies. Yeah, it's, okay. just,
0: it's just TV. I haven't watched a lot of movies. It's it's crazy. Since we stopped going to the theaters, I could probably, I couldn't even fill up one hand, the amount of movies total that I watched. That's,
1: I mean, hey man, again, you've been watching a lot of TV and stuff, so I can, I can get it. I can get behind that. I mean, I've been watching a ton of movies. That's pretty much my thing. And I mean, we've been doing the watch-alongs on top of it. So that plays a big part. And it is like the social interaction of watching movies together has been like a really cool
0: thing. I've watched the movies that we've watched on here. Mm -hmm. So maybe it does fill up a hand. I watched the movies that we've watched for here. Two last week, this one today. Um, A Goofy Movie, Looper. I think that might be it.
1: Okay, so five's It's not bad.
0: Not a lot since we stopped going to the theater. Yeah, man, I get it. I do. I, I just find comfort in like rewatching
1: old Jackie Chan movies and stuff. So I've watched a ton of that. Been w- watching like Pacific Rim and just like the kind of movies that are just gonna like put a smile on my face. Except of course, then I had like the midlife crisis trilogy over the last twenty four <laughs> hours with Zach Braff. So right.
0: you know, things happen. <laughs> Short podcast today but hey what are you gonna do when you're just talking about sergio next week we're gonna talk about this netflix original movie with chris Hemsworth called extraction the the press is sort of ramping up on it a little bit the russo brothers talked about it on twitter today apparently it's just a whole lot of fun um there's a great continuous shot apparently it's like the the russo brothers said it was their favorite f- yeah, favorite Warner that they've ever seen which has me excited even though i can't imagine that that's true um yeah so i i hope it's a lot of fun and i can't wait to talk about that next week and if something else pops up that's interesting i'm sure we'll touch on it too but uh i think that about does it here man yeah
1: man i'm freaking excited For this russo brothers one i really really am like i just think it's going to be a ton of fun um i i appreciate that they're doing this like producer thing now on top of everything else
0: yeah i do too actually real quick let me just ask you about the rumor the rumor Mm -hmm. that joss whedon is involved with fantastic four
1: it's i'm curious about that too um strictly speaking number one i I take a little bit of grain of salt because i believe it was john campia who came up with this
0: okay
1: um that is from what i understand so i haven't really deep dived into it but the thing is is we do know that marvel is high on using the fantastic four right now and one of the things that we also know is that they featured prominently in one of the early drafts of ant-man 3 that paul rudd wrote so the idea of them really looking at introducing fantastic four in this phase which is phase four which seems like what a perfect time to do it number one um but i love the idea and joss whedon potentially coming in is not like the worst idea i just wonder if the mcu has moved on from his sort of vision of filmmaking because you and i have talked about it before like age i like age of ultron more than the the first avengers but I think the MCU has moved well past where Whedon was. I can't imagine he'd want to be involved. Um, but without Ike Mutter there kind of muddying the waters, as it were, in the same way that he did with Age of Ultron, there might be a chance that Whedon and Feige could work very well together again.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm just not a fan of Whedon. Like, the Whedonisms in both of his Avengers movies. They're just not really my thing. I think a lot of the humor... Uh, Marvel owes a lot of its humor to what Whedon was kind of doing early on, and I agree. And that's that's fine, but I just am not drawn to him, and I don't find that to be an inspired decision. I think, like, if I wanted to put a positive spin on it, it's like, okay, Joss Whedon had a very specific, a heavy load with that first Avengers movie, and the fact that we've kind of blown the roof off the place maybe maybe he can give us his best movie ever maybe his best marvel movie ever for sure like maybe all these other directors and projects have really opened the door so he could actually like breathe a little bit what jj thought he was doing when ryan johnson blew the roof off the place with the last Jedi. right so that's possible but i just don't think that whatever just Whedon does i'm going to gravitate to immediately so it's not something that excites me i would much rather john krasinski do it or even peyton reed if he wanted to do it well i'm not, and not it, a big fan of weed i just wonder too like i feel like Whedon is a
1: very specific sensibility and it's not necessarily the sensibility i necessarily want associated with the fantastic four um yeah uh, you know, it, it, as weird as that might sound, I don't want it to be like an uber serious movie like *Fan Four Stick*, but I also don't want it to lean so far into comedy on what something that Whedon could do and making them really quippy. Because I, I think there needs to be a balance.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the Tim Story movies were already very com- comedic, so if you want that version of the Fantastic Four, it already exists. Yeah. If you and I think that there's a balance in between, and I don't know if Whedon would necessarily land it if he's only writing it or or if he only directs it and someone else writes it, I'd be curious.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't excite me. It doesn't mean that I won't like the final product, but it just right. doesn't excite me whatsoever. Uh, um, I want to address one more thing that only matters to me. So I'm not going to make it personal, but I, I just wanted to take a second to address people that are out there in... This movie community space. Oh, know?
1: I see. I know what you're talking about now. So, I was like,
0: "What?" <laughs> so, some people might know me or might have come over because they're familiar with the work that I did for a Collider, the work that I did for for Schmoes. No, um, I'm going to try to make this as like I, I just want this to be great advice and not be personal. So the last thing I want to say, if you are in this space uh, as an audience member and you you're, you love Screen Junkies, you love Collider, you love uh, SEN, whatever it is. If you one day want to break into this industry and be a pundit, create content in this space, my advice to you, especially during this quarantine, is to stop listening and watching t- those things. Because I feel like, there's well there's a couple of reasons. One, you shouldn't put so much weight into what those people are doing. And I mean, if you're a fan of something and you just like it, that's fine. I'm not telling you not to like something. But I think if you're also at the same time simultaneously trying to break into this space, you should be worried less about what they're doing. That doesn't mean you can't build relationships, make connections. Spend more of your time working on your thing as opposed to what other people are doing. And I've already done this, right? And I already have like two podcasts. I have two podcasts right now working on a couple of more, working on another thing that's unrelated to this. I have been doing a lot of purging, a lot of decluttering, Getting things sort of out of my way so I can focus my vision, narrow my vision. Do I play a lot of Call of Duty? Yes, I do. But when I'm not doing that, worry less about what everybody else is doing. That way you can spend way more energy on what you're doing. So take a break from these podcasts. Work on yourself. Work on your material. Work on your content. Don't put so much weight into these people that are online. Don't put so much weight. I I feel like you also run the risk of constantly comparing yourself, maybe making yourself feel like you're not adequate or good enough when you're comparing it to what everybody else is doing. Some people get angry. Some people, you know, think to themselves, well, I actually don't think this pundit is very talented. I think I'm very talented. Why am I not where they're at? Don't, put so much value in what they're doing because they're more often than not they're there just because they put in the work. They got there because they worked. They spent a lot of time doing it. So there's no reason to be worried about what they're doing. You put yourself in that situation by applying yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Make your fucking content and let's roll. That's all I want
1: I, I I, totally agree with everything you said. And we were talking about this actually yesterday off camera. This was like a whole situation in, uh, I think that if you're in a place right now where you think that your voice should be heard, then now is the perfect time to do it. I mean, it all it takes is having a laptop of some sort or a computer and your voice in a microphone. I mean, look at what Ryan and I do weekend and week out or what Ryan does with the rest of the channel throughout the week or what I'm doing on my own personal channel now throughout the week. Like, if you want your voice out there and you want to be heard, do it. Don't let other people, you know, you can watch all, what everyone's doing, but don't complain about it. Like, if you feel like that you need to have your voice out there, then do it. It's kind of that simple, right? Like, why sit on the sideline and complain and be an art chair director when you could also try to put yourself out there and actually make a case for yourself? I mean, maybe that's just my personal mentality on things, but if you have the chance, you might as well take it.
0: Yeah. Let me let me illustrate it another way. So when Sight & Sound was coming up, me and Jay were working on exactly how we wanted to organize a podcast, how many... Episodes we wanted to do, Awake, things like that. We watched a lot of Gary Vanderchuk content. And if you don't know who Gary V is, he's an entrepreneur, but he creates a ton of content. Uh, he's a, um, a public speaker. A lot of his content is based on getting other people to share a mentality similar to what I'm talking about, right? So I watched Gary V content nonstop, whether it was his YouTube channel, podcast feed, Twitter, Instagram, nonstop take it in this content about, you know, how I should be working harder and taking more time to execute. And so, but I realized that the point of his content is not to watch it every single day tirelessly so you absorb more information. The point of his content is that if you find yourself still watching it, that means you haven't done any of what he said to do. Which is finally break off, jump out of the nest, and make your shit. Like, maybe you're only supposed to watch Gary V long enough to, like, get him and get his message. Maybe it takes two weeks. Maybe it takes a month. Whatever. But you're not supposed to keep watching it. So, I would kind of bring that over and say, if you find yourself coming from a guy who had a collider and after after a schmo after show for years... Um, if you find yourself tirelessly watching everybody else's content and you're thinking all the time, man, I wish I could be this. I wish I. Could. That's the wrong way. It's you're not you're not supposed to watch anymore. Like, take a break, work on your stuff, and 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 maybe go back to it later. But uh, I guess uh, that's really all that I'm I'm trying to say is uh, to not put so much weight into that shit. Yeah, um, I I don't disagree with any of what Ryan just said. So there's that. We'll we'll end on that note. There will be a day. Someone asked me the other day, what exactly happened with my relationship with those guys, and I've been very uh, particular about what information I let go and how I address the situation. And I'm I'm not even really going to do it here. Uh I will one day probably it just depends on uh the right time and I, I th- just want to spend more time actually thinking about how I would do it um but I uh a lot of that is in there but it's also it, it, the reason why that's relevant is because I've spent a lot of time trying to uh distance myself and remove and you see me joke all the time on Twitter like how do I get off film Twitter Um, it's not as easy as it sounds because, uh, you still want to maintain relationships with certain people, but, uh, you may not actually want to engage all the time, but, uh, that, that's sort of where all this is coming from is, uh, putting more focus and value into yourself as opposed to, uh, others that, you know, you constantly want to be like, or, you know, so I'm kind of running in circles now, but, uh. I think that does it. I think that's a good, into, that's a good lesson for content creators or uh, future content creators out there. Um, yep. With that said, tell us more about where they can find you and uh, what you're doing over on PJ Campbell Network.
1: Uh, yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PJ underscore Campbell. As Ryan just said, you can also find me at the PJ Campbell Network where every night at 7 o'clock, we're doing different shows. Uh, Mondays and Fridays, we do watch-alongs. Mondays, normally an animated film of some sort. As I said earlier in the show, Ryan was just on. We did a goofy movie for the 25th anniversary and it was a total blast. Uh, last night, we actually did a special episode uh, on a Thursday with John Kaiser and Tim Franco talking Big Trouble in Little China. And tonight, we're doing the declaration of Independence stealing film national treasure, which I'm very, very excited about, but we're also doing the PJ Campbell show, which I've brought back. It's every Sunday at 7. PM. Uh, it's just kind of my laid back form of just hanging out with friends, talking for an hour, hour and a half and us just having a good time. Uh, Chris Clark is doing a show called suddenly soundtracks where he breaks down Broadway musicals or musicals period looks at the albums and they break down every song going all the way through. It's very, very fun. Um, Evan DeGraff has a show called famous last words where he interviews personalities in the space. So that's also something you can look forward to. And then there's something rotten, which I do with Frank Janish where we review rotten films on rotten tomatoes and reevaluate them, uh, kind of trying to break down the system. A lot of people look at rotten tomatoes in a way that they think that it's like the end all be all of film criticism, but they don't also realize how many of the films they might actually like have a, that little like green splat next to the movie and we want to shine a light on those movies and remind people like it's a tool it's not necessarily like the final critique on art
0: you can find me on twitter and instagram at whatupsnell you can go hang out with me and jay williams over on sight and sound on twitch youtube podcast feed what have you we are talking about west world over there and just having a good time and oh I, I'm I'm in a band.
1: You are in a band.
0: Yeah, more on that later, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.